Welcome to Get With IT, a podcast by IT Ops Times. The host today is Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of IT Ops Times. Yes, hello. Thanks for being with us, everyone. Today, the topic is best practices for Kubernetes disaster recovery. Uh, with us to talk about it today is Michael Cade. He's the field CTO at VM. How you doing, Michael? Yeah, all good, David. Happy to be here. Good, good. So, uh, you know, as we know, uh, we certainly uh, attended uh, KubeCon earlier this year. Uh, Kubernetes is just uh, roaring. You know, people are, are using it, liking it, getting a lot of benefit from it. Uh, but there seems to be, I guess, some issue with uh, disaster recovery processes. So let's uh, take a little dive into that. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit at the beginning to talk about uh, the specifics of Kubernetes disaster recovery and why that might be different from other types of disaster recovery. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I think that's the important point, right, is that when we look at other platforms, when we look at physical, virtual, cloud, and now Kubernetes or cloud native, we there's always been that requirement around running stateful workloads or data services within them within those platforms. What we've seen over the last few years, and there's there's loads of data to to give us that that insight as well as our our customer base. But people are running data services either inside the Kubernetes cluster or just outside, but the application is still associated to that. Now, wherever there's data, there's probably importance. And that's where we have to consider not just disaster recovery. That's obviously a key part. If something bad happens to that platform, where and how do we keep our business running? But also, uh, how do we protect that data? How do we make sure that we've got a copy of that data? And databases, are, as, a, as an example of a data service, are just an element of that. They're not as easy as a, a small little megabyte megabytes of, of containers. There's there's a lot more going on, a lot more importance when it comes to a database, whether it's inside the cluster or outside. So when it comes to D DR, we're still thinking about the same failure scenarios, whether it is the, the fire, flood and blood um, mm -hmm. that we don't really want to talk about, or it's the or it's the accidental deletion, it's the power outage, it's the the non non exciting. I wouldn't call fire, flood, and blood that exciting, but right. hopefully that <laughs> that resonates. Yep, very good. So, so uh, what would you recommend then as some uh, best practices for uh, doing this effectively? So, I think the the key part is understanding what your data is um, and having a grasp on well, what does bad look like? I.e., if there is a failure scenario, if let's say that we're in AWS and we're using EKS and what happens if EKS goes down or it becomes unavailable or maybe one of my DevOps engineers deletes the the uh, the cluster, crazy things have happened. What happens when bad things or what, what does bad look like? So one, it's about having a grasp and an understanding of what that data is. And secondly, it's how do we, how do we make, how do we mitigate the risk of bad, things happening. Now that could be using native tools and that could be scripting stuff. And we've seen that over the years, again, over all of those different platforms that I just touched on. When it comes to cloud native, we have to be a little bit, we have to approach this in a little bit of a different manner because of the nature of cloud native. There's lots of moving parts. There's lots of, uh, of 
Kubernetes objects that build up our application and as well our data service. So we have to think about how we protect that. And then we also have to think about if it is a database, for example, how do we make that consistent? If you think about a database, there's lots of transactions hitting that hitting that database. Uh, it might be an ordering system, might be might be a login system. Um, but we need to we need to make sure that when we do take a backup, um, albeit a disaster recovery plan, we need to make sure that the application is consistent when we're when we're taking that as well as the whole um application of all the kubernetes objects that go with that mm -hmm. so i think it's just a mindset what we use for virtual machine backup what we use for physical what we use for nas and unstructured and cloud and all the other platforms they're not going to cut it when it comes to kubernetes backup and disaster recovery because it doesn't they don't necessarily speak that language and just to go back on on why that is different, if you think about when we went from physical to virtual, that kind of big shift platform change that happened around 15, 20 years ago was we we could take the agent-based approach that we had for backing up and providing disaster recovery to our environment, but it wasn't the best way. What the best way would have been interacting with the the virtualization host or the, the at least the provider there and taking a, a fast efficient copy of that that data so that we could push it to a different location that same transition has happened with those platforms to kubernetes as well so there's just a lot of considerations to to take when it when it comes to cloud native backup and dr mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, you know, we, we talk about the complexity of Kubernetes applications and, and the fact that it's easy to, uh, you know, swap services in and out and things like that. And you talk about, you know, consistency in the application. So how does all of this complexity and the fact that Kubernetes can be, you know, uh, moved from, from uh, place to place, the, the portability factor, how does that all feed into disaster recovery and what special, uh, you know, considerations the organizations have to take around that? Yeah, so it's a great question. And I think the most important part there is if we look at Kubernetes as a whole, and and we've I've heard it framed as the cloud operating system, because a Kubernetes cluster that is running in EKS or sorry, in AWS, a Kubernetes cluster that's running on prem using upstream vanilla Kubernetes, they're all speaking the same language. They're all relatively similar. Um, there are some bells and whistles on on managed Kubernetes services, and they're different between the the options that you have. But fundamentally, if I've got an application that runs on premises on my upstream Kubernetes cluster, and I want to get that up and running in EKS, that should be quite simple in in regards to that mobility of data. Mm -hmm. From our from our point of view, from a custom point of view, we provide the ability to automate and orchestrate that that mobility of that data so transform that as part of that recovery or migration of that data into that secondary location and on top of that we can orchestrate that from a disaster recovery point of view so if you maybe you're if we go again go back to how virtualization maybe it was vSphere to vSphere and our front-end production workloads all lived on one site on VMware vSphere and we wanted to have our DR site, another vSphere environment, maybe down the road, maybe in a different county, city, like whatever that may be, they would be the same. We would ultimately build them very similar. 
with mm. Kubernetes, it doesn't need to be that way. So we've got the ability to be very choosy when it comes to where we want our DR to be. And with the, the emphasis on maybe our DR doesn't need to be running all the time either, which is going to cost, it's going to save us cost. It's going to reduce any security footprint as well over, over our whole estate at that point. So it's a just in time disaster recovery. So we've got that whole scalability that we can take advantage of from that, that perspective as well. Mm-hmm. I know you talk about uh, things like, you know, having a clear roadmap for a plan for, you know, DR and and things like that now is that going to differ from organization to organization are there a few common things that every organization should be doing uh, when it comes to creating the strategy and then uh also having the roadmap so so i think the first thing is is making sure that you've got one um i speak to some pretty large enterprise companies that almost turn a blind eye to when if bad things were going to happen to my database, my data services, my clusters, my platforms, etc. So I think the first point is always let's let's have a plan when when bad things happen. And and I would say with all the with all of with all of the complexity that we have, with all the different platforms that we have available to us, that bad thing, that bad failure scenario, whatever that may be is more likely than it was when life was maybe a little bit more simpler 20 years ago where we only had one platform to deal with and we only had off-the-shelf software to deal with now we're creating our own software we're we're deploying that here there and everywhere Uh, i would rather make sure that i've got that plan in place so that when bad things happen and they will that we can get back up and running i think to add to that as well is is around um making sure that we're aware of what data we have within our platforms if it's on kubernetes what what are the what is the data is it a database because if so we can take a crash consistent copy of that but is that going to be good enough when we come to recover that or when we come to a disaster recovery so making sure that that we we have all of the the knowledge of our whole platform our whole estate so that we can have a proper strategy and plan for when bad things happen. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. Well, I know that I would be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, automation, uh, as that seems to be what everybody's talking about these days. So how does that come into play in a good uh, you know, uh, Kubernetes DR strategy or uh, best practice? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, you're right. Automation, doing more with less, right? Um, teams are going down from maybe they had five people and now they've got one to do everything. So automation is going to help, help alleviate some of that pain for that, for that end user, for that systems administrator that is taking on that, that role. But um, one of the things that I did back end of 2023 was be talking a lot about the CI CD pipeline, but mostly the CD pipeline. So the continuous delivery of applications. Now, in my opinion, it doesn't matter whether that's an application you've created and now you're pushing that out into your staging, into your production, or whether that's an off-the-shelf piece of software that you're deploying using a CD framework, using GitOps to automate the delivery of that of that application. If that application has a le- some sort of database, which I would argue, even if the database isn't inside of Kubernetes, there is going to be some state for that application somewhere. 
And from an application consistency point of view, we want to be able to protect the whole piece. So if they're using Amazon RDS or MongoDB Atlas or some other PaaS-based service, or they're using a stateless set or an operator within Kubernetes, we need to be able to protect that. So why I bring up the the CD or Argo CD um, as a as a tool that I used was how do we incorporate backup into that CD pipeline? So before I go from version one to version two of my application, I want to make sure that I've got a copy of my database at that point in time, but not a scheduled backup like we've done for years. Now we're being very um, conscious and behavior based on we're making an update and we're going from version one to version two. And I want to make sure that we're protecting the whole application before we make that jump, just so that I've got that really fast recovery point to jump back to if anything bad was to happen. And then we've seen on that on that automation piece, we have the concept of multi-clusters from a K10 point of view. So being able to also deploy casting K10 and our our dashboards and our, our workers around all different clusters in a in a GitOps type type fashion as well. So very much top of mind and a lot of people are listening to that. Interesting. Okay, uh, Michael, just, uh, you know, we're coming up against time, but I would like to, you know, if you could uh, give us your thoughts on how an organization would get started with uh, implementing uh, a good uh, Kubernetes uh, backup and recovery uh, setup. So my, my jet, we've got, we're fast coming up to KubeCon in, in Paris as well. And um, the first thing that I ask everyone I, I start to have a conversation with is, are you running any persistent volume claims in your Kubernetes cluster? And nine times out of 10, they are. And then we get onto the whole stateful, stateless conversation. If people are running PVCs, I would say 90% of the time, that data that lives on that PVC is going to be important to that business, or at least to the application. And that is the first start of, well, we need to think about data management and what actually is being, being stored there and how important is it? Do we need to protect it? Where do we need to protect it? And what do SLAs look like if if bad things happen to that that cluster? So that's definitely where I'd start. Um, because that kind of we're still we're still having that stateless versus stateful conversation. Uh, even though, like I just mentioned, around an app there are very few applications, unless it's a static web page that doesn't change, that all lives inside of the container, it doesn't hook into any sort of PaaS-based storage or any external storage to the application, there is going to be some requirement around protecting that workload. Outstanding. Great. All right. This has been Michael Cade, Field CTO at VM. Thanks so much for your time today, Michael. Great conversation. Awesome. Cheers, David. Thank you. And I'd like to, of course, thank our uh, listeners for uh, joining us as always on the Get With IT podcast. Until next time, I'm Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of IT Ops Times. So long for now.